Whether you know it or not, we've entered the Christmas season. Amen? Any of you been to the mall lately? Or maybe not. The, I, 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 we don't have so many malls anymore. I, I, I can't figure that out. Why do you want to go to a... a we called them sh- shopping centers when I was a kid where you had to go out in the rain and, and into the cold and then into a store. Man, when you could go to a mall and it was all under roof. I don't know, but anyway... But if you've been, you know the, the rush is on. The season has started. Uh, in fact, it's probably, we don't have many more days to go before Christmas. But uh, the Christmas season, I, I learned as, I, as a pastor that it evokes different memories and different things in different people. For some people, it's a wonderful time. For others, it's depressing, and uh, it brings up, uh, old memories. Uh, for some people, it just it terrifies them because they have to go spend time with family that they rarely see during the year, and so there's always a big adjustment. It just it it makes a lot of different feelings for a lot of different people. But for me, it it always reminds me of who I am and where I come from. I, I just you know I, I think back as a child, and 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 I think about. Uh, all the things, that the traditions. And one of the songs we sang this morning, uh, and, and take us to heaven. I learned it and fit us for heaven to live with you there. And, and that's what God's doing right now. He's fitting us for heaven. That's, that's, that's why we're undergoing the process that, that we're involved in is so that, that when we get to heaven, we'll know how to act. Uh, we'll know what to do. But uh, I love this season. I love the trees. I love the lights. I love the decorations. Man, I love the gifts. I love the giving. I love the food. Amen? Amen on the food. I love the food. And I, I love being with family. Uh, uh, my family has has begun the, the shrinking process. And uh, I, I remember when Kathy and I first got married, we had seven places to go on, on Christmas Day. Well, now it's, it's, it's compacted down now to two places, and one of them's our house, okay? So really we have one place to go. And, and I, I, there, often I, I'll, I'll think about, uh, you know, it was a hassle, it was a rush, but man, I miss it. I, I, miss, uh, I miss going to her, her, her grandparents' house on Christmas morning for breakfast. I mean, it was like a Norman Rockwell painting, it was that kind of thing. And, and I miss going to my parents. And, uh, my grandparents. And so, you know, it's a, it's a sad time. It, 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 on, on some parts, it's a sad time. But for me, primarily, it's a joyous time. But I miss that, you know. I, and so I think about it a lot. It's, this season stirs up a lot of, 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 of meaning. But it's a good time as well. And when I say thinking about who you are and where you come from, it, it's a good time to spiritually take inventory. Uh, it's a good time to contemplate the journey that you're on. I think it's healthy spiritually every once in a while to remember from where you came. And, and I don't necessarily mean your family, but who you were before you met Christ. This may be a little bit different Christmas sermon at the beginning. We'll get to the, we'll get to the Christmas stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I often, I, you know, I, I, I remember what I was and who I could have been. And what God's doing in me now. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm, I'm a long way down the road. And I'm a lot closer than I was when I started. And so for the next few moments, I just want to paint a picture. It's a universal picture, okay? There's, there's not a person in this room that didn't start in the same place. Now, you, you may not like that. And, it may, and what I'm going to say may be uh, a little depressing, it may even be offensive to some folks, but I, I don't mean to be offensive, and I, I don't want to depress you. I just want to be real, okay? Uh, this may be 
this is definitely where we all started, and this is where we all were. And for some folks, maybe for someone this morning, this may be still where you're at. And if it is, this sermon's for you. Uh, the Bible says that we are all, and all means every one of us, hopelessly lost apart from Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, that's, that's who we are. That means we have no hope of rescue. We have no hope of, of fixing things. We have no way out of despair. We have no way out of depression. We have no way out of disgrace, no deliverance, no escape from the chains of the bondage of sin. We are all trapped. Okay, that's the, that's the universal human condition. Now, that's depressing. Amen? But that's not the end of the story. Just, just hold on. The Bible says that we're dead in our trespasses and our sin. In, in fact, every person in this room this morning, this may be news for you, but it's, it's reality. Every person in this room this morning was born in sin. The Bible says we're, we're born in depravity. That is, we inherited a sin nature. You got it from your mom and daddy. They got it from their mom and daddy. They got it from their mom and daddy and their mom and daddy and their mom and daddy. And if you climb down from your family tree, you work your way down through the limbs and down to the trunk and into the root, you'll find Adam and Eve there, okay? Because they are, they are our eventual mother and father. We all descend from Adam and Eve. And, and Adam and Eve sinned. And because they sinned, they passed that sin nature to every one of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as one man, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin was imputed to us. It was, it was judicially given to us. We were, we were there, though we weren't there, but we were there in Adam. And so we, we, we're all born in sin, but now the fact is that we all sin individually. Amen? I'm going to have to ask for amens during this part of the sermon because this is not the normal place that people jump up and go, Yeah, preach it, preacher. I mean, this hurts me too, but the reality of it is we all sin. Now, you may not think, you may not think that uh, we're all sinners and we come here as sinners, but if you'll take a trip back to our nursery, you'll find some delightful, wonderful, precious little babies. And you know what? They're sinners. Now, that, that's the reality, and they're selfish, and they want what they want. How many of you know that when a baby wants, when it wants something to eat, it lets you know about it, Amen. In the morning. And I'm going to be real careful because both of the babies in our nursery this morning, <laughs> you know what I mean. You could give a testimony that they are. Amen. But we, just, we don't just come here that way. We sin. And we start from the very beginning. And then we learn to hide it a little bit better. And we're not as open with it. But, but the fact is that all of us, Sin. We're, we're born with sin, and then we commit acts of sin. And we're responsible for that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born sinners who commit acts of sin. And that sin separates us from a relationship with God. It breaks the fellowship that we have with God. And what it does is it, it created a chasm. A, 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 a canyon, a, a ditch, I mean, whatever you want to call it. We're here, and God's here. And there's no way for us to get from here to here. Okay? The chasm is not crossable for us. We can't bridge it. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't matter how much good you do. Doesn't matter how much money you give to the church. Doesn't matter 
how strong your perseverance is or willpower. It doesn't matter uh, your technical abilities. The reality of it is, is we can't cross that gulf. We can't get back to God on our own. Now that's depressing, amen? I've done my job then, okay? We're like this baseball. Now some of you are wondering why I was carrying this around. The reason I was carrying it around is because I didn't want to put it down because I knew if I put it down, it would be, they would be playing pitch with it, okay? So I, I decided I'd carry it around. But this is a baseball. And we're, like, we're kind of like this baseball. How many of you, when you were kids, played baseball? And if you were like my brother and I and our neighbors, we only had one baseball. We didn't have a sack full. It's not like Little League where if you knock one over the fence, they just get another one out. We had one baseball. And uh, if you hit it hard enough or you fouled it off, a lot of times it would go into the high grass or it would go, you know, kind of out in the underbrush and it'd be lost. And the game's over until you find the baseball. Any of y'all ever do that? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, when you hit a baseball and it lands, it never gets up and comes back to you. I've never seen a baseball with legs, okay? Never. Or wings. Wherever that baseball goes, it's where it stays. Now, I can roll this baseball right back through there. Went going further. And it, 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 when it stops, when it stops, that's where it's going to stay. Now, imagine that's outside in the elements. Until I find that baseball, until I go and retrieve it, until I look for it, until I part the grass or the weeds or whatever, that baseball will sit there. It will, it will stay right where it's at until I either find it by looking for it or it deteriorates and returns to the earth. Now, that one is, has a little bit of rubber in it, I think, but it's cork and string and leather, according to the, 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 the outer cover. It, it'll finally it'll melt back and go to the earth. That baseball is lost. It can't help itself. We're like that baseball. Sin knocked us over the fence or fouled us off, whichever you like better, and we landed in the high grass, and we're lost. Apart from Jesus Christ. And no matter what we do, we can't find our way back home. We're stuck wherever we landed, in whatever muck we landed in. I've got a, a dear friend, in, in fact it's Jim's son-in-law, Andy Heiss. He puts it this way. We're as lost as last year's Easter egg. Okay? That communicates there. He's got another one. I'm, I want to say it, but I'm not going to, okay? But I've heard it a thousand times. Man, he's as lost as last year's Easter egg, okay? You, you understand what I'm saying. Now, you may be thinking, Nelson, that's pretty depressing. You surely don't have the gift of encouragement. I really do have the gift of encouragement, but I'm not trying to encourage right yet. You may be thinking, man, I came here this morning so pumped up. We sang those Christmas carols. I got excited. I couldn't wait for, a, for an awe-inspiring Christmas sermon and now I feel like I need counseling so I can deal with my damaged identity and my self-worth. I, I know what you mean. But you know what? That's the very problem that we deal with when it comes to the issue of sin. We don't like to hear about it. We don't like to remember from where we came. We don't like to look at ourselves under the glaring light that literally we were under. We, we, we feel like we're you know, I know what the Bible says, but I really feel like I'm a little bit better person than that. No, the Bible says we are dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. I mean, that's, that's, that's what the Bible says. Now, that's whether you believe it or not. That's who we are. Without Christ, we don't have any hope. Now, you won't hear that on Oprah, okay? You won't hear that on Dr. Phil. You won't hear that, but that's what the Bible teaches. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. 
Now, that's only half the story, okay? Praise God, we're to the other half of the story now, okay? But you know what? There are lots of people, lots of people. The woods and the hillsides are filled with them outside this room today that that's the half of the story they live in. That's where they live. They have no hope. Now, they think they do. They, they think their hope's in, in their job. And you know what? That can change in a moment. They think their hope's in their finances. But you know what? Your 401K can go south in one day. Your investments can, can just disappear. They think they, they have because they're healthy. But you know what? Your health can disappear. And on and on I could go. Now, folks, those people need Jesus Christ. And we're the ones that God has left here to share that story with. And if that story is not front and center in the Christmas season, it never will be. Okay? Because that's what, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the fact that, that God had a rescue mission. Instead of us crossing the chasm, God says, you know what? I'm going to cross the chasm. Every religion in the world teaches that you have to work your way to God. You have to be better and better and better and do this and do this and do this. Only Christianity, only the Bible teaches that God came to us. God came to us. I love the fact that somebody came looking for me. I was like that baseball, lost in high grass. And I could have been a green baseball in high grass, okay? I couldn't have been, a, have been any more lost. And the reality of it is, every one of you were in that same situation. Or, you know what, you still may be in that situation. But here's what Galatians 4, chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time came, in other words, at just the right moment, when everything was perfect in history, when the world understood, for the most part, one language, there was one language, there was, there was one law, Roman law, there was, was just there were a highway system, all roads literally led to Rome. At just the right time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as sons and as daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir of God. In other words, at just the right moment, God crossed the chasm and began to pick up the baseballs that were lost in the high grass. And he didn't just, he didn't just take them to batting practice. He said, you know what, these are my children. And he put his spirit in us. And now we cry out to him, Abba, Father. If you go to Israel today, you will hear little Jewish kids going, Abba, 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 Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's what, that's, that's what that means. God, the God who created everything, is our Daddy, our Father. We're not slaves anymore. We're not slaves to sin. God sent Jesus Christ to rescue us. You know what? God had no other plan. There was no plan B. There is no plan B. There's no other way to the Father except through the Son. You know what? That offends people sometimes. Because the reality is we don't really think we're as bad as Scripture says we are. Amen? Let's just be honest. I mean, when every once in a while I get in one of those things where I go, well, God, you know what? I'm not really as bad as, as this. You know what? I am. I'm worse. The reality of it is. But you know what? The Bible says that we were dead. Dead. Now, what does dead mean? 
There are no degrees of dead. When they pronounce you dead, you are dead. Well, he's a little dead. No, he's dead. I mean, that's just the reality, okay? There's one dead. You're either dead or alive. You know, they'd be barely alive. But when when you cross that threshold to death, everybody's the same. They're dead. And the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says. And you. And you doesn't include everybody but me. It includes all of us. We were all dead in our trespasses and in sin. And so God the Father sent God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit to rescue the human race. That's what Christmas is about. He came to rescue you and me. And one of the the signals that this was about to take place came prior to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Last week we talked about Bethlehem and we, we talked about how God worked through the centuries to prepare the human race for what would take place in Bethlehem. Well, God did some other things. And, and today I just want to talk about the power of the name. I, want, I just want to talk about the name Jesus for the most part. It, it falls off our lips really easy. But we, we don't always understand the significance of it. But that night, and in the months leading up to that night, God unveils his plan. I mean, he kind of spells it out. And he shares it with, with Mary, he shares it with Joseph, he shares it with the shepherds that night, and with others that were paying attention. And you've heard me say this before, that names are very significant. In Scripture... I'll tell you one way right now to enhance your Bible study is get you a Bible dictionary and every time you read a place that has a name or a person that has a name, figure out what that name means and you will be surprised at the depth that will unfold before you. It talks about Elijah. I love the, I love the name Elijah. Elijah means God is God. El is, is one of the names of God. And, and Jah, J-A-Y, is Yah in Hebrew. God is God. And what does Elijah do? Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and, de- and declares, God is God. If, if you believe God's God, worship Him here. And, and there are other names. Bethel, uh, you, the place Bethel, or Bethel is the house of God. Bet is house. El is God. Last week we learned about Bethlehem. Bethlehem, house of bread. All of those names are, are so important because they, 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 they give us some insight into what's going on. But names were not given like they are now. I mean, we see somebody on American Idol and the next thing you know, they're naming their kids after this person. Or, or, you know, they're on a reality show and the next thing you know, that person's name's showing up on babies everywhere. But that's not how the, the people in the Middle East and, in, and lots of parts of the world even today still name their children names were prophetic very often they they pointed to what this person would do or they pointed to an event where the person may have been born in they they were they were they were reminders of what that person was going to accomplish in life like i mentioned last week we learned about bethlehem but they were given a great deal of thought and very often, God would give the name to the parent. You remember uh, Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth, they're in their old age, and God says, I'm going to give you a son. You're going, to name his, you're going to name him John. Well, Zechariah couldn't believe it. He, 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 he kind of wanted a little proof there, so God made him mute. He couldn't speak. Now, that's pretty tough for a priest if you can't speak pretty tough for a preacher but he said you're to name your son John and and when God opened his mouth again the first words out of his mouth were we're going to name him John well God made sure that his son had a specific name and we use the name of Jesus I mean I hear it used uh spiritually speaking in churches and different places but I also hear it taken in vain 
And, and I want you to understand this. When we take God's name in vain, it doesn't necessarily mean that we add a curse word or a by word to it. It's just that we don't speak it in respect. You know what? We're just as guilty of taking it in vain as, as, as the pagans are, the people that don't know Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in creation. The most powerful name that's ever been given. Most of us are familiar with the Christmas story. In fact, we're so familiar with it that when someone starts to read the passages, we can quote them. It's kind of like the Christmas songs. I, I've, I know them, and I don't realize I know them as well as I know them, but when we start to sing, the words just start coming. And the same is true with, with the Christmas story. We know these passages so well that, that very often we miss what the passages say. In Luke chapter 1, Verse 30, I mean, 30 and 33. The angel, Gabriel, appears to a little girl. And when I say a little girl, Mary was probably 15, 16 years old. 15 or 16. Mary's gone to the well there in Nazareth to draw water. And all of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, I don't know what he looked like. But I'll guarantee you, he didn't look like some guy off of a, 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 a sitcom or a, uh, one of the shows during the soap opera. You know what I mean? He was an angel. And not only that, he was Gabriel. He was the, the one who stands beside God. And that's literally what Gabriel means, the one who stands beside God. And he had come from the throne of God, and he had come with a message. Here was a, a 15, 16-year-old little girl. Now, do we have any 15, 16-year-olds in here? Okay, we don't. This is not how I would have done the story had I been God, okay? But God's going to entrust His Son to this little girl. Listen to what, what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Mary. Now, I'll guarantee you she was terrified, okay? You would have been too if an angel had appeared before you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. That word favor means grace. You have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Gabriel communicated... God's message to Mary. You are to name this child Jesus. Now there's a whole lot we could take out of this verse here. I mean, man, he, he begins to, to give, he begins to tell her she's going to have a baby. Well, she's not even married. I mean, in fact, she answers him in a few verses. I, I, how can that be? I, I've, I've never known a man. I mean, she, she's, I mean, she understands biology. We could talk about the fact that he's going to be a king and all that, but, but I want you just to grab hold of, of this. And you shall name him Jesus. Now, a few months later, a few weeks later, another angel appears to a, a young man named Joseph. We don't know exactly how Joseph, how old Joseph was. There's been some conjecture that because... His name's kind of absence after you get over in the gospel stories that Joseph died, meaning that he may have been older. We don't know that. That's just speculation, okay? But Joseph and Mary are engaged. Literally, the biblical term is they're espoused. Now, that's not like today when we get engaged. Engagements today can be broken off because you're having a bad hair day, okay? In, 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 or or you just got up on the wrong side of the bed. In their day... When you became engaged, it was like you were married, except that you did not live together. It was a legal, binding kind of a contract. The, 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 the bridegroom would come, he would pay the dowry price, and then he would go. And he would, he would usually build a place adjacent or connected to his parents' home so that he could bring his bride to that home. And then when, when he had it completed, he would come back and he would get his bride. They'd have the wedding. 
There was no interaction, and if there was, it was heavily chaperoned, okay? They're just, they're, that, the, the, the things that take place today didn't take place very often then. And so, all of a sudden, this angel appears to Joseph. Now, very likely, Mary has shared what the angel shared with her. Now, let's just be real people here for a minute. If you heard that, and you were engaged to someone, men, and you knew you had nothing to do with that, what would you be thinking? Okay, Joseph's thinking the same thing. Ladies, if you went to your husband-to-be and you shared the story that she shared with Joseph, what do you think he would be thinking? And what, what would you think? I mean, th- this is real stuff right here. You understand? They're, they're going, what, what were, what were the, the, the parents? What did they think? Because I guarantee you she shared it with her mom and dad. Well, that's where Joseph at. Joseph's in the middle of the night. He's trying to figure out a way to save face in the community because what he was looking at was probably the most embarrassing thing that a man of his day could be faced with. Now, he didn't want to embarrass Mary. And the Bible says that he was trying to figure out a way to put her away where he didn't have to marry her. And yet he didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to make her a public spectacle. And God sends an angel. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 23, this is what the angel said to Joseph. He said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Same thing that that Gabriel told Mary. The the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And the Holy Spirit will conceive in you a child. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken might be fulfilled. Behold, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, God's already said this. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now God goes to great extremes to make sure that there's no question about what this child is to be named. He gives the name both to Mary and Joseph. They're going to name this baby J-E-S-U-S. They're going to name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is, is the Greek and Latin kind of transliteration or translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua or Joshua. Familiar with Joshua, Yeshua, same. There's no J in Hebrew. We used the J, but they would have used the Y, so it's Yeshua. And it was, it was a common name in Jesus' day. Now, we just don't name kids Jesus. I've never met a, 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 a kid named Jesus. Now, the Hispanic folks, they will... Jesus, that's Jesus. It's common in their culture. But it's, it's not common as such in our culture. But it was a very common name when Jesus was born. Many of, their, uh, many of the parents named their children Yeshua or Joshua in honor of, of the great hero of the Old Testament, Joshua. And so, you know, he had led the people across the Jordan River, and into the Promised Land. He was one of the, the heroes, the great warrior uh, leader who followed Moses. He was the guy who helped him conquer the, uh, the, uh, the Promised Land, conquer the Canaanites. Uh, what, let me ask you this question. What had the people of Israel been doing for 40 years? Wandering, wandering, wandering. They were just as lost as that baseball. A few weeks ago, we went, I uh, shared with you, we were in Israel, and we took a, an excursion, and it was an excursion. We crossed out of Israel and into Jordan, which was an experience, but not nearly the experience of crossing back from Jordan into Israel. But we, we rode down through the mountains of, of Moab, and 
along, well, we rode along the Jordan River and the mountains of Moab were here and the mountains of Edom. And it is the most desolate place I've ever been. I stood on Mount Nebo where Moses stood and looked at the promised land. The only problem was I couldn't see the promised land because there was a dust storm. Okay, but it's, there's no trees or anything. It's just stark, desolate. That's what they were doing. They were wandering around. Why were they wandering? You boil it down to one word. Sin. They refused to obey God. God gave them the land, and when the day came for them to go in, they were afraid. And so they disobeyed God. And because of their sin, they wandered around lost. Now God knew where they were, and Moses knew where they were. But they had never been there before. They were lost, just like that baseball. And Joshua comes along. Moses dies, and God raises up Joshua. And Joshua leads the remnant, those that, that, that were under 21 years of age that didn't die in the wilderness. He leads them across the, the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, into the rest of God, in a sense. See the picture there? That, that picture is exactly what Jesus would do. See, Joshua is an Old Testament type of Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a signal that I'm going to do something. There, Joshua's doing this physically. I'm going to do something spiritually. And he does that through Jesus. Hebrews 1, I mean, excuse me, Joshua 1, 2 says, and this is what God spoke to, to uh, Joshua. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise Cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them, the sons of Israel. And Joshua led them into the promised land. You know what? When a, a man or a woman believes in their heart, they enter the promised land, in a sense. Joshua did not lead the people to arrest. In fact, that's what... Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 tells us, For if Joshua had given them rest, he, God, speaking God, would not have spoken of another day after that. In other words, God said, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, there is a day of rest. But you're not going to find it in Joshua. You're going to find it in Jesus. The point is, is, is that only God can give us rest. Only God can give us rest from sin. Only God can give us rest from the penalty and the power of sin. And folks, one of these days, he's even going to give us rest from the presence of it. Right now, we can, we, can, we can find relief from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But one of these days, God's going to remove the presence of it. That name Jesus, Yeshua, or Joshua, they all carry the same meaning. I want you to listen to the meaning and the nuances of the meaning. Yeshua, Jesus, means the Lord is salvation. Literally, it means Yahweh. I mean, when, whenever you see capital L, little capital O, little capital R, little capital D in your Old Testament, it's the name Yahweh. The Jews would not pronounce it. it to them, it was too holy. They wouldn't even write it. So what they would do is they would write Adonai, Lord. And so they, they would use the word, every time you saw Adonai in Hebrew, it meant Yahweh. And so what we've done in translation, what the translators have done, is they've translated it that way. But Yahweh was, 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 is salvation. Jehovah, that's, a, that's the name that we use, same one, is helper. Jehovah delivers or he rescues. Jehovah saves or the help of Jehovah or God. Don't, you, don't miss the significance of that name. Every time we declare the name of Jesus, we are just saying that He is our salvation. He is our deliverance. He is our help. He's the one who delivers us from the penalty of sin. He's the one who rescues us from our lostness. He's the one who searched us out. He's the one that searched you out, and searched me out, and then led us into the promises of God. He's our deliverer. He's our savior. See, there's power in that name. 
It's not just the name of a person. It's who He is. A lot of times when you translate a language into another language, you, 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 you lose the word play and, and, the, and, the, and the beauty of it. But in Matthew one twenty one, it says, And you shall call, he's talking, the angel's talking to, to Joseph, And you shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves. God saves. For he will save his people from their sins. If you could hear it in Hebrew. And he will be called Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Or if you just kind of boil it down, Yahweh is the Savior. Only he can save his people from their sins. Folks, that name, those five letters, declare God's plan and purpose and provision for our sin. Jesus. That's it. There is nothing else. Jesus is the Savior. And, and when, when God declares that name, He's claiming and declaring that He alone is the only one that can save us. He's the only one who can deliver us. He's the only one who can break the yoke of sin and bondage that we're under. You know what? There's not a pastor who can do that. There's not a Sunday school teacher that can do that. I've known some godly people in my life, but you know what? Not one of them could do that. Only Jesus can do that. And I, I, I think about the, the angels that, that appeared that night on those hillsides in Bethlehem. What was their message? Well, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For today, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. If I'm the baseball lost in the high grass, and they were, they were the lowest of the low. They were the ones that were, there was the edge of society, the fringe, and then there were the shepherds. And the angels appear in the sky there has been born to you today a Savior, someone who will deliver you. We read, we like the word Savior. In Hebrew, they like the word Deliverer. Okay? For us, Savior conjures up a picture. For them, Deliverer. And, and, and that Deliverer for them had been born. That was good news. He is Christ. Lord, He is Messiah. That's what Christ means. The Anointed One. The Lord. Yahweh. I mean, that's what it says. There's been born to you a Savior today who is the Anointed One, Yahweh. And, and, and the angels make it real personal. They don't say, for today in the city of David has been born to humanity. They say, there has been born for you. That's good news. It's for you, and you, and you, and you, and me. A Savior has come. His name is Jesus. In other words, God saves. That's what Jesus means. Now, we're so familiar with these names, and we're so familiar with these words. I mean, I can quote that verse out of Luke. Boom, 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 boom. Savior. Christ the Lord. You know what? We use it really flippantly. Because every time we declare the name of Jesus, we are declaring God's purpose and plan for us. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember the baseball? It's still sitting there. Jesus has come to seek and to save. He came to search the high grass to pick us up, and to bring us back to the Father. Jesus is the Savior. And that's exactly what the angels were declaring that night. Jesus is called the Christ. And Christ is a, is a Christos, is a Greek term. 
But it, it meant the anointed one in Hebrew. And to be anointed was to be smeared with oil. And literally, to be smeared with oil was a picture of being anointed with the Holy Spirit. And what, what that name is implying is there is one coming who is anointed with the Holy Spirit. He will be the deliverer. Now, in Jesus' day, their picture of the Messiah was of a great general, like David, riding a horse. A great white war horse. And he was going to set the nation free. He was going to get rid of the Romans. He was going to get rid of all the, the, the non-Jews. And was going to restore the kingdom of David. That was their picture. That was the deliverer they were looking for. And so what happened is, they missed the baby in Bethlehem because they were looking for a warrior king. But listen to me, that baby born in Bethlehem is a warrior king. He is a warrior king. And what had happened is, they had come to believe that they could please God with their rituals and what they did. And they had come to that place where if they were good enough, they could deal with their sin. And what had happened is the faith that they needed had deteriorated into a works-based religion. And you know what? Things have not changed a great deal, even in the church today. We start out saved by grace through faith. And then we work. And we work, and we work, and we work, thinking that we can please God and get closer to Him. Can I set you free? There's nothing you can do on your own that pleases God. And there's nothing that you or I can do that God really needs. Now that may just blow your bubble, but that's reality. God doesn't need me. Heck, if I won't praise Him, the Scriptures say He can get rocks too. He'll open their mouths. But God wants us. God desires relationship with us. It's not what I can do for God. It's what God can do for me. I'm the baseball in the high grass that can't, is doing its best to sprout some legs and wings so I can get back, but it's not happening. And so God sends Jesus. And it was the same in their day. They thought that if they just practiced their faith and they kept the law, everything would be okay. But you know what? Works don't save us. Now, faith without works is dead as well. You, you, don't tell me you have faith and you're not doing anything. But just doing something doesn't save us. The question really is, what are we resting in? Are we resting in Jesus? Or are we resting in our own righteousness? And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, it talks about that God would send a Messiah. He would send His anointed one. His Christ. And His Christ would be prophet, priest, and king. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the only three offices that were entered into through an anointing was prophet. The prophets, you remember the story of Elijah. He anoints Elisha. I always get them backwards. But he, he, he anoints Elisha to follow him as a prophet. So as a prophet... You were anointed with olive oil. Kings were anointed with olive oil. Samuel goes and he anoints Saul. And then Saul flubs the dub, fails miserably, and he goes to David's house. And, and eventually he anoints David with olive oil. And that became, that was a symbol that the Holy Spirit had come on that man to be king. Prophet, priest, priests at age 30 were anointed with oil. And so there's a picture, God's painting a picture through those three offices that there's going to come a day when there will be one person who will sit in all three offices. He will be prophet, priest, and king. Now, King Saul, 
I believe one of the reasons God got rid of him is because he tried to take all three positions. God made him a prophet. If you study the life of Saul, you'll find out that, uh, that when God changed his heart, uh, Saul prophesied. He, he, he lay down and prophesied. God made him a king. And then what did Saul do when Samuel didn't show up? He offered the sacrifice. He stepped into the place of a priest. And God says, there will be no man except the Messiah who will be prophet, priest, and king. So he gets rid of Saul. And so the Messiah, the deliverer, is the only one that could be the prophet, the priest, and the king. And if you remember, Jesus was a prophet. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I believe that, that, that Hebrews teaches it very clearly that he's the high priest. And if you remember his conversation with Pilate, Pilate said, so you're a king. And what did Jesus say? Yes. My kingdom, though, is not of this world. So he, he admitted being the king. Well, the angels, when they declared this to the, to the uh, shepherds there in, in Bethlehem, they declared that the child would also not just be Savior. He wouldn't just come to save the people from their sins. He wouldn't just be Messiah, prophet, priest, and king, but that he would also be Lord. I mentioned a while ago, every time you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, and it's capital L, little capital O, little capital R, little capital D, you can take that word and put Yahweh there because that's what the commentators, that's what the, that's what the translators were doing. The Jews didn't use the word. Again, I say, they used Adonai. It's too, God's name was too holy. And so they inserted Lord. And every time you see that, you're reading God's name. And the angels declared that this child would be Yahweh. He would be God. The covenant-keeping God. You remember back in Exodus, Moses is at the burning bush. God's speaking to Moses. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to, to set my people free. I'm gonna, I'll give you the words. And, and Moses, well, who should I tell them sent me? In other words, who are you? I've got to tell them something. Who are you? And if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, this is what God said. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, I am has sent you. I am is, 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 the, is, the, word, is the Hebrew verb of being, which means I am. It's Yahweh. I am God. And what these angels were saying to these shepherds is, is that God is coming. See, they're getting the message across. He's going to be Jesus who saves you from your sins, but he's going to be God. So we, we, don't, we don't grasp that when we read it very often. We, we, we read through it so quickly. I mean, this is a life-changing revelation that God was giving those shepherds, that he was giving this little girl, that he was giving this young man. I'm coming. I'm coming across the chasm that separates us. I'm coming looking for you and you and you and you. Why? Because I love you. I'm not coming in judgment. I'm coming for God so loved the world that he gave. See, that was not the message that they were used to. When God came, he usually came in judgment. But not this time. He came in grace. The angels are declaring that God is the Messiah. That the Messiah is the Savior. That the Savior is Jesus and it would be the same Jesus that those shepherds would find lying in that cave, in that manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Folks, God looked across the gulf, that chasm that separates me and you from Him. And He did something about it. Unlike every other religion in the world where you have to work your way to God, God came to get us. He stepped across that impassable place as Jesus. And He became my Savior. 
And he became my Lord. He became your Savior and your Lord and your Savior and your Lord. So what's in a name? Well, I would say everything. Everything. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. In the first few verses of Philippians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus took on humanity and how he, he gave his life as a bondservant, as a slave. And then it says this, Therefore, because of what Jesus had done, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name, on, the, on him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the exact thing that the angels told the shepherds who is Christ the Lord. It's the same thing that, that, the, that Gabriel told Mary. You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. It's the same thing that the angel told Joseph. Now God adds the exclamation part and says that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, at the, at the name of Jesus... God is Savior, Deliverer, Salvation. Everything must bow. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what you're dealing with. But listen to me. Sin must bow at the name of Jesus. Disease, sickness, illness, infirmity must bow at the name of Jesus. Depression must bow at the name of Jesus. Fear has to bow at the name of Jesus. Insecurity bows at the name of Jesus. Satan and all the demons will bow at the name of Jesus. That's how powerful that name is. Everything must bow. And everything will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus is Messiah... And He is God. Folks, Jesus is still Jehovah who saves. His name has not changed. He is still Emmanuel. Hebrew, Emmanuel means God with us. When God stepped across the chasm, folks, He never left. He is still God with us. Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He has not changed. But you know what? He has the power to change everything. Whatever's happening in your life this morning, whatever mountain you face, whatever situation or circumstance has you by the throat, at the name of Jesus... And in the power of His name, it has to release its grasp on you. Because if you belong to Jesus this morning, you're not a slave to whatever that is. You're not a, a servant of that anymore. You're a, you're a son or a daughter of the King. If it's sin, you know what? You're free from that. If it's sickness, Jesus paid for it on the cross. If it's fear, Scripture says that we're not to be afraid. He's not given us a spirit of fear. If it's insecurity, why in the world would you be insecure when Jesus Christ is your brother and God is your Father? Man, that's, that's the place where you stick your chest out, and I don't, you don't strut, but, but you come close, okay? I'm not afraid of bullies because, you know what? Jesus lives in me. Why? You can't be any more secure than that. Folks, He has not changed, but His power can change anything. But you and I have to invite Him into that, whatever it is. He doesn't barge in. 
He doesn't barge in to save a person, to find them in the grass. They have to be open. Folks, God walked across the chasm, picked up the baseball, and he put it next to his heart. Now, if you know Jesus this morning, this is where you are. This is where you are. I want to ask you a question. What can harm you if this is where you are? Now, if you don't know Jesus this morning, you're still lost like that baseball was. But you know what? Jesus is walking around this morning looking for you. He knows where you are. He's brought you here so that you could hear the gospel very clearly and very plainly so that you don't have to leave lost. You can leave free, delivered from your sin, from the penalty of your sin. But you have to invite him in. Let's pray.